This is State of Sports, Utah, with your hosts, Jake Lukler and Jason Stowell. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Sports, Utah podcast. My name is Jake Lukler, and here with me today, of course, is my co-host, the one, the only, Jason Stowell. What's up? Very happy to be with you guys, especially on this glorious Monday after just such a wonderful weekend. It was it was just great. How how was your weekend, Jake? You know, Jason, my week was a little <laughs> bit less good as yours, I would think. Saturday was a little bumpy, but aside from that, it was it was pretty okay. <laughs> but as I'm sure everyone who's listening to this knows, BYU came out on top in last Saturday's rivalry game. 26-17, to 17, ending the nine-game winning streak. Jason, I know you're over the mood about this. I don't even know where to begin. I almost, I'm almost, even after the game was in a little bit of like a state of shock, is this real? Is this what winning feels like? It was unreal. Man, yeah, what, what a weekend. When you throw in the Big 12 invite and then obviously the upset with, with Utah, one of the greatest weeks in BYU sports history. Absolutely. And we'll get to all that news uh, as we go along. But first, how about we revisit our predictions from last week? So obviously, starting with myself, I predicted that Utah would win 31-17. to And if they lost, it would be because they didn't establish the run game. Uh, in my opinion, I was wrong on obviously both of those predictions. I actually think Utah's run game may not have been completely established in the full entirety that I would have liked, but it's definitely developed throughout that game to a much greater degree than when we started it. And so I, and I don't think that was the downfall of them losing at all. So Jason, what about your prediction? Yeah, so <laughs> I anticipated a little more offense, which would have been a little more fun. My, my prediction was BYU would win 35 to 28. And obviously the margin ended up being a lot less than that points-wise. But the spread wasn't bad. Nine points. Um, Almost got that spread right. And then I said that if BYU were to lose, and really more of a key to them winning, is not turning the ball over. Not only did they not turn the ball over, but they were positive in the turnover margin. So that was was great. I get like an 80% complete on my predictions for, for the game. Well, that is a passing grade, isn't it? (laughs) So anyway, why don't we talk about the game as much as that depresses me to talk about. And uh, why don't I start? Because start on a low, end on a high, right? Utah obviously had a very disappointing performance. As I've thought about it, and it was obvious from almost the first snap of the ball. But the more I've thought about it, it was 100% the downfall of the team. And it's that, simply put... BYU wanted this more. And I felt like offense, defense, special team, the entire Utah team simply played like this didn't matter at all. Like this was nothing but a speed bump and that they were already looking forward to Pac-12 play. And I mean, you know, sure, have your eye on the prize, but at the same time, and I specifically remember mentioning this last week as a worry that we as Utah fans have, it's that, you know, the players just simply don't understand how important this rivalry game is to the fans and to just the program as a whole. And 
when it really comes down to it, I can only think of really one player that acted like he was trying to win this game. And that was Mika Bernard. And he is by far was by far the highlight of the entire team. He was our best player on the field that entire game. He ran for over 100 yards uh, with 12 carries, 146 yards. And it, I think it's because of him we were able to establish the run game as much as we did. And I think he, if he's not our primary back the rest of the season, he's definitely made a very great pitch to be so. Tavian Thomas did great against Weber State, but BYU definitely exposed his biggest issue, which he can't hold onto the ball. He had one fumble at the very beginning of the game, and that was a huge momentum killer. And even yes. then, uh, he, the ball slipped out of his hands again. His knee was down, but that's still just not good. It was ball so hands. close. Yeah, it was very close. It was almost too close to call, but just in general, that's poor ball management. That is, that is not taking care of the football, and you can't have a primary running back who can't hold on to the football. And I think that was very evident. And Mika Bernard, he held on to it, and he, ran, and he ran all over the field. And he was the main reason Utah was in the game as much as they were. Yeah, he definitely killed us multiple times in that game that I felt like momentum was about to overflow on BYU's side. In fact, both times BYU scored touchdowns, Utah marched immediately back down the field because of their run game. Exactly. They reeled off some huge runs against BYU. So as a fan sitting in the stands, that was really frustrating to see BYU not be able to wrap up at the line of scrimmage and tackle. Yeah. And that resulted in him having a, a huge game. 12 carries with that many yards yes. is really, really efficient. Exactly. And just in general, if he's not our primary back, this was a major case for him. I don't know if, if Kyle has decided to make him the primary back just yet. In fact, he's very specifically avoided answering that question on multiple occasions so far. But I think he will be, in all honest, because all the other uh, backs that have been in the running just haven't shown that they're as capable as Mika Bernard. But moving on from him... Again, I think the biggest factor, at least on Utah's side, of why they lost is just simply put, BYU wanted this a whole lot more. You could tell from the, the way the players played. You could tell the, from, you know, obviously, the stadium. The fans wanted this a ton. Uh, Kalani Sataki, the whole time on his face, you could tell he desperately wanted this. This may be the first time that we've really seen that bite Utah in the butt. I mean, it is. This is the first yeah. win, right? I saw that. I totally get what you what you are saying from the Utah perspective because I saw that myself, that it felt like on BYU's sideline, they had a lot more of that grit and determination, that swag, right, that, yeah. that Utah brings into the rivalry game. That was almost all on BYU's side this time. BYU wanted this game, and, and a lot of that, Two, I think, contributes from the Nakua brothers. That was the main spot that I saw a difference being made was Samson Nakua on the field saying that we're going to win this no matter what. He brought a lot of that Utah swag mm -hmm. to BYU, and it, it paid major dividends to BYU. And I think it's important for Utah, like moving forward, when we talk about long-term BYU's not going to be independent anymore. You know, BYU's in a Power 5 conference. 
from here on out. Yeah, the next time they play, they'll be in the Big 12. So it's going to be on a lot more equal terms talent-wise. I still felt like overall Utah had has better talent and depth than BYU, but BYU came out with the victory, and so that that is definitely a concern aspect for Utah for sure. in the future because you have to approach this game. You have to approach it differently, but you have to, even if you don't think that it matters for like, oh, it's just BYU, you know, it's just the rivalry game. It's still a non-conference important game that affects your win-loss column. Those are big impacts that the playoff committee looks at in the long term. So even if Utah goes throughout the rest of the season and does great and has one other loss, they look, you know, they finish with two losses. They still look at that BYU loss, and it is impactful on the entire rest of the season. So I think when you look at some of the other out-of-conference rivalries like Notre Dame and USC, Clemson and South Carolina, Florida, Florida State, they still approach that game, both teams, with fire and a pride to win because it does matter for the state and for the fan bases. But it also matters for your overall record and for your schedule. And that's why you play these games. That's why you schedule BYU. That's why you schedule Utah so that you can have a quality win over your rival that improves your traction long term. I think just one more thing that I would like to mention is if there is a silver lining to Utah losing, at the very least, I think it shows something important. And it's that... When it comes to having a long streak of a decade, decade plus, like this scenario, sometimes, and this was the fear, that when you win that many times against you know, an opponent that consecutively, you start to see them, I think, as a worse school than they actually are. You stop seeing them as a threat at all. Back in 2018, it was the exact same scenario. In 2018, BYU led the entire first three quarters. And Utah felt the crowd, they felt the tension, so they turned it around. The crowd was behind them, and so they were able to, to drive that momentum and be able to come back in the game. And to the point, Utah won that game because of depth. Yes. Because BYU had some significant injuries at running back. They weren't as talented in the fourth quarter when guys were gassed from playing in the game. BYU couldn't send anybody in that was anywhere close to the talent that Utah had, but that's not going to be the case moving forward. That's not going to be the case in five years when both teams have spent a significant amount of time in a Power Five, both money and recruiting perspective. Absolutely. So that's and definitely something to watch. I mean, I think if there's a silver lining here. Maybe it does just prove the point that maybe, you know, we have to let you guys win it once a decade. In order to, to keep taking you seriously. <laughs> well, when you win 50 to like 7 next year, then, or next time we play, forgive me, we don't play for two more years. Yeah, 2024. Then, then your point will be proven. Yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, it was a big win for BYU. It was really important as a fan base to get that win. And now we get to sit on this win for three years. That's impactful for even me, just, just on a personal level. And I felt that the impact of that game was huge for the fan base overall. They needed to see that. To have it be at home in that environment with 
nearly 10,000 students in attendance. BYU student section is loud. And that, that environment was great. That was some of the loudest that I've ever heard Lavelle Edwards Stadium be. And that carried after the win. As we were leaving the field and, and going and exiting the stadium, these waves of cheers would go through the fan base who was just walking out the front gates. It just these cheers and these chants of like BYU kept flowing out all the way through the stands. So it, it was just an amazing environment to be a part of and just an awesome feeling. Um, so as far as the like the game aspect goes in and of itself, the Battle of the Trenches won this game, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. <laughs> Kyle Whittingham in his post game had the tremendous quote that describes what I'm talking about. He said, I would have bet my house that we would not lose the line of scrimmage. They deserve the win. We've got to regroup. When you look at the overall stats on offense for both teams, two for nine on third downs for Utah, BYU is 11 for 19. Fourth downs, same story. 0 for 2 for Utah, BYU is 1 for 1. The total number of yards were pretty equal. 340 yards for Utah, 380 total yards for BYU. So there wasn't a great differentiation between the amount that the ball moved. But give credit to Tuiaki on BYU as BYU's defensive coordinator. I, he's been given a ton of crap, myself included. But his style of game plan has evolved from a few years ago where maybe he did just sit and drop coverage the entire game. He actually brought pressure at very specific moments and it was on third downs. It was on those fourth downs that BYU was able to blanket Utah's receivers and they were able to get to the quarterback or get to the running back on important key stats. And that is why Utah talks about the line of scrimmage being lost to BYU because they did on those critical downs. They were not able to move the ball when it really, really counted. The overall execution of the offense was really good. We did see a little bit more of that variety on offense, which is something I talked about last week. Jaron Hall had multiple QB draws. In fact, I, at one point, I, 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 we have a BYU group text, and I texted that group. I said, Utah is pushing too hard on the edges on their pass rush. If BYU will drop Jaron Hall back into a, pa into a pass look, and run him up the middle on a QB draw, he will be wide open. And it was a huge third down, and sure enough, right, at, I, right after I texted that to our group, Utah came with pressure on, on the outsides, and uh, they ran a QB draw with Jaron right up the middle, and he went for 15 yards and moved the ball, I think up to like the Utah 25, 30-yard line. So it was, a, it was a huge play. So again, we did see a little bit more of the variety that BYU has in their arsenal going 11 for 19 on those third downs on those crucial plays was huge and was the bread and butter of a Jaron Hall led offense. His stats weren't crazy flashy. When you just look at the box score, 149 yards passing, uh, 92 yards rushing, which is really good from a rushing perspective, um, but three touchdowns. He, he got the ball to his receivers. Um, so overall, 
I just thought BYU controlled the game really well. And the last stat that I will share that I feel like reflects that is time of possession with Utah having it for 24 minutes and BYU having it for 35. BYU controlled that line of scrimmage. They ran the ball and they made great passes and executed that game plan when they needed to. And um, that turned out big down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I can't really contend with any of that as much as I'd love to, but unfortunately, <laughs> I, I, frankly, I agree with you, which uh, pains me in my soul to say. Why don't we go into our next section real quick, uh, worry spots about the upcoming games. Just moving on to my worries about Utah. I would say, obviously, one of my biggest worries was exactly what it was last week, and that being the O-line. Charlie Brewer, don't get me wrong, did not play his very best, and I feel like he, as well as the whole team, were better than what showed up on Saturday. But one one trend that I noticed was whenever the O-line did manage to give Charlie pressure against BYU, Charlie usually made, made a play. He usually made something happen. And, but the problem was, he rarely got that time. He rarely was defended long enough for to be able to do something. And so that that's a worry. And the other one is actually something that I know Utah fans will be able to relate to extremely well. And I'll break it down for BYU fans here. And it's the play calling on offense. So our, our current OC is Andy Ludwig. And this is not the first time he has been our OC. In fact, he's been our OC. He once, I believe, uh, back in the early 2000s. And one thing that re- the reason he lost his job the first time was because of just kind of a vanilla and poorly executed uh, decision making when it came to key plays. And just the one, the one play that really brought this out and reminded me and all the Utah fans I was watching with of the old Andy Ludwig was that of uh, when Utah was down uh, 7-10 and they had the chance to, to get up by, by four. We were, we, it was fourth and two, and we were right there in the red zone. And it went terribly. And, and I hated the play call. I hated the way they executed that run. And that it just, it's so, it's so hard to describe, but just that poor execution, that poor decision, that poor play calling, it was the, was the exact way Andy used to play things. And, you know, in the past few seasons, 2018, 2019, and a little bit 2020 as well, it looked like Andy had, had improved and it looked like things had gotten better for him and he was smarter and he could read things better and he could make better decisions on offense. But just, I'm worried that, you know, the, that hair-pulling irritation that all Utah fans feel at those kinds of play calls on offense are just going to become, you know, a habit again. And that, well, and that, like I like I mentioned, that two for eleven, yeah, on third exactly. and downs is brutal. Exactly, and don't get me wrong, BYU deserves a lot of credit on being able to read what we were doing, but that also goes against the offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig. Was not surprising BYU at all. Was not doing anything 
accept what they expected. And so that is by far my biggest worry, if I'm being greater so than the O-line. Because, oh, if, if we're predictable on offense, then we'll you'd never get anything done. Yeah, so uh, penalties are, are probably my biggest, or one tied with my biggest uh, worry spot. BYU had eight total penalties for 75 yards, um, and they killed a couple of those those spots where we had to get field goals, including that last last yeah. drive where BYU got it within the five. Um, they ended up having a false start penalty, I, I believe, um, and it moved them back. So it was a BYU a, had a lot of false starts actually. I was, I noticed yeah, that quite a that, bit. That that's going to be something that they'll need to clean up um, moving forward. Just it, including the, and I get it's a rivalry game, and there that's again where some of that emotion yeah, you're talking about comes from. But they they need to be they need to control that emotion and not not hit guys when they're going out of bounds and get some of those unsportsmanlike yeah. conducts. Which again, I don't feel like BYU has usually had. But maybe that's the edge. Maybe that's the factor. You just have to hit a couple guys and be like, yeah, we're not backing down. We're going to win this game, you know? So uh, anyway, overall penalties. And then, again, the 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 passing game has has been good enough and it's been executed in the short game super well. But it's the deep game that I am the most worried about, and including the use of the tight ends. Um, Isaac Rex still has had only one touch. Dallin Hoker, I think, has had two touches. But in that last game, Dallin Hoker had one reception, and that was it for BYU's tight end game. So very little usage. Um, I'm hoping as we play more teams that don't bring as much pressure as Utah does, obviously, and as Arizona did, that they'll be able to utilize them a little better. Um, And then the deep ball. The longest pass was a 35-yard pass. But it was kind of on that scramble play where he just happened to peel out and yeah. see the receiver downfield. Um, but but overall, it's like ten yards, yeah, a lot thirteen of yards. They're they're small passes. So if BYU can go over the top consistently, their I think their offense overall is going to be really really good because they are so efficient in the short game in the run game. Um, so that's something to look for as well. Can Jaron Hall find those open receivers in, in the deep ball? So we can't go through this podcast without mentioning uh, the biggest news from, from last week. And we talked about it a little bit and then they ended up announcing the day after we (laughs) posted our podcast, but uh, the big 12 has expanded. Uh, They, they are going to add BYU, Houston, Cincinnati and UCF, um, and they will be all joining in all sports in 2023. I I would expect some decisions and flexibility with that are are going to be made regarding the AAC, how they buy out some of some of those factors. Um, but looking at it from a uh, to use Commissioner Bowlesby's words, a macros perspective, those are the four teams. They're going to expand to those, um, and then some of those those uh, bigger decisions regarding in individual institutions um, and and the overall time frame um, is, is has some flexibility. But very exciting. I expressed a lot of that in 
in the previous week, but we just wanted to touch on that and, and make sure that we mentioned it. And we'll talk about, so why don't we go on to our next segment, uh, which is a bit of a fun one, and it's not one we did last week, but why don't we talk about game day traditions in a rivalry game, just since it's come and gone, and obviously we've probably done them quite recently. Jason, what are your game day traditions when it comes to playing Utah? So, if it's at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, it's obviously going to be going to be a lot different, um, and... To be honest, my my game day traditions have have involved a lot of standing in lines because I've been a rock pass <laughs> holder, and that game is always full. Um, and so that was that was not very different this year. But usually, I like to go and show up to the stadium early, and then they do tailgating along the street right next to the stadium. They've got a big TV with. Um, you know other big games that are going on they've got music food they do giveaways with like shirts and I've done that since I was a little kid they used to do like a Macy's uh, game day giveaway shirt where you could throw the football and if you got it in the you know the little target you got a free t-shirt and that as a little kid was like so exciting but um, I, I, I actually have loved going and being in the rock this this particular year, they didn't have us line up until um, like four o'clock, and then gates open at at six, um, and so we were standing in line for like two hours. I like to go get in early and and be able to sit in the stands and kind of watch players warm up and just get my mind and my emotions in in a good place. And that's what I did with this Utah game, you know, just just embracing the fact that. It's a football game. Either team could win or lose, and and that helps me to stay somewhat calm through the through the game. Although by the the start of the second half, even with BYU up, I wanted to puke. I really did. I was so so stinking nervous, and through the whole game, even when we hit that field goal, I was like, Utah's gonna find some way to do it. They're gonna find some way to win. So not a whole ton of tradition, honestly. With with like specific practices, specific practices, but just going to the stadium and being in the atmosphere of game day, getting a cougar tail, getting a J dogs shout out to J dogs, a <laughs> hot dog before the game and eating it while I watch the team warm up. Non-sponsored. There's, there's yes, non-sponsored. There's, there's nothing like being in a college campus next to the stadium before a game. It's, it's a great feeling. For sure. I can imagine. So, when it comes to my my game day traditions, I don't necessarily have a specific practice either. Uh, typically, what I like to do in the morning when I first wake up is I like to watch you know, just kind of the highlight reel of. Hold up, we're missing something very important here, Jake. Because I know for a fact you do not wear the opposing team's colors. 24 hours before the game kicks off. I know this for a fact. That see, that is true, and I was going to get to that. But yes, so when it comes, so uh, as of eight, I believe it was eight fifteen p.m. on Friday, I I stripped and changed shorts because my I had a pair of blue shorts on on Friday, and so I, I I changed out of those shorts and into a black pair that I'm actually wearing now right now, uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, so I don't wear the opposing color. And this goes for any time Utah plays a team. So 
uh, right before we, we were state. I didn't wear any purple for 24 hours. Uh, I, had to, I didn't wear blue. Uh, sometimes I'm a bit specific, like, you know, US, uh, UCLA blue and BYU blue are two very different shades. And so sometimes I won't be super picky. It, it depends on how superstitious I am that season. Like, you know, if I was wearing that a pair of dark blue shorts or a shirt and we were playing UCLA, which is a light sky blue, I probably wouldn't care most of the time. See, now imagine that tradition with me being a BYU fan and having red hair my whole <laughs> life. It was the curse of my existence. Yes. <laughs> uh, but aside from that, uh, let's see, every morning on game day, I like to review the, the highlight footage of the last three or four times that... Uh, the teams have played each other. Uh, so this year, watched 20, uh, 2019, 2018, 2017. All great years. Uh, wish uh, this game could have turned out a bit more like those, but, you know, uh, what's done is done. Uh, also, just typical uh, game day for, not just the rivalry game, but just Utah football in general. Uh, depending on the outcome, usually I'll wear a specific tie. I have about four or five University of Utah ties, and depending if Utah wins, loses, if it was an away game, if it was a bowl game, I have a specific tie that I wear. Now, obviously, couldn't do that because I lost, I lost the bet and did have to wear that, uh, that awful, you know, an obnoxiously awful, uh, <laughs> Y logo tie. My my wife Amy picked out the tie that Jake was gonna have have to give, and she gave it to Jake's wife. And it was covered in little BYUs. It was the most BYU yeah, tie the most that I have. One. And to be fair, she I did the exact same you. thing for you. I sent her yep. down with a Utah with my most obnoxious Utah tie, which is usually the tie I wear when it is a Utah victory. And so I was willing to sacrifice that for you. <laughs> so. Anyway, why don't we move on to our next section, since neither of us really had that many specific rivalry game day traditions. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We awesome. So just moving on to, to next week, because it's important to move on for, for both Utah coming off a loss and, and for BYU. It's time to focus on, on the next game. And, and get that W. Kalani today was asked again about Big 12 stuff, and he said, hey, look, it's great, but I am focused on ASU 100%. Ask me that question in two years. <laughs> so I, we're going to talk on our kind of our predictions for, for the next two games for BYU and Utah. BYU plays Arizona State. Um, ranked game, or both teams are ranked. It's a night game at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, same kickoff time as the Utah game, uh, and BYU is going to be in their all-whites, so it's a whiteout game for BYU. Their royal trim and chrome royal face masks and decals on the white helmet, one of BYU's best looks by far. I told you I was going to talk about uniforms. <laughs> but it's hard to know what ASU is going to look like um, because they played nobody. Uh, they played they played nobody. Both of the teams that they that they have played, they've won fairly easily, and they've put up some good points. But once they play somebody who is at a Power 5 level, like BYU, I think it's going to be very different. 
they're coming off the pending investigations yeah. and some of the violations that they've committed. They've lost recruits. They've lost coaches. I don't know how they're fielding a team, frankly. But again, it's going to be interesting to see how Arizona State looks once they once they play bigger competition. So it's I, I don't know what to say for a prediction, honestly. I, I'm going to predict BYU will win. And it'll probably be in similar fashion to the Utah game. Maybe a little more production, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 28-17 BYU. Okay. I think it'll be fairly okay. similar to the Utah game score. Okay. And now, am I allowed to predict a predict this one as well, or do you want me? Yeah, to Yeah, you are. Yeah. Okay. No. Uh, you know what? I was have been watching ASU just as I try to watch all the Pac-12 schools. And first off, good good for BYU for playing three Pac-12s in a row. By the end of the season, we'll we'll be in contention for the Pac-12 South Championship. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, anyhow, it's going to ignore that one. Um, I think that these teams are pretty well matched, at least from what I've seen. And you're right, it is a bit more difficult to tell and gauge ASU just by, based on who they've played. But I think this one's going to be a nail-biter. I think this one is going to be high-scoring, I think. I think it's going to be 35-32. And I actually think BYU is going to take it home. I think it's going to be 35-32. I think it's going to be neck-and-neck, back-and-forth the entire time. I think it's a game of defense. But, and obviously, the prediction that I want to pay attention to the most is looking forward for, to San Diego State. Now, San Diego State has... Not, uh, has a decent record, and they put up a lot of points in Arizona last week. And so I think, I think personally, Utah is going to be going to this game angry. I think the loss to BYU and, you know, just the sheer, I don't want to, it, I wouldn't say humiliation, but just the, the hurt and the shame that they're probably feeling, because they're the first team to lose to BYU in a decade. So they got to take their anger out in somebody. And I think that anger is going to be just taken out on, on San Diego State. I know Utah is better than what showed up at BYU, and I think they're going to prove that against San Diego State. And so I predict, a, not necessarily a blowout, but I because I because San Diego State is a very good team, and I think they're going to be very good this year. But I predict a, th- uh, I predict a thirty-one to thirteen game. I wouldn't call that a blowout just quite, but I w- want to say Utah is going to come in hard, and they're going to come in swing. They're going to be angry. So I'm going to predict. I'm going to predict a Utah win as well. But I do think that if BYU's defense caused some issues, San Diego State's will as well. So if Utah does not <laughs> secure some of those problem areas in the in the O line, they're going to have some some problems. So I'm going to say twenty-one seventeen. I think it's. I think it's a. Under a one possession game, but but again, some of that fire wills Utah to 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 a win. Okay, that's probably lower scoring than it might actually be, but both teams are pretty defense heavy. So. That's true. That's true. All right, so those are pretty decent predictions. So wrapping this second podcast of ours up, uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's showed us support on our very first podcast last week. We have received a lot of great you know, comments and just a lot of support. And this relaunching this podcast has been something that we've talked about 
for a long time. And frankly, it's, I don't want to say it's a dream come true, but it's definitely a goal come true. This is something that we've been wanting to do for a good long time. And so we'd just like to thank everyone who, you know, gave our podcast a shout out on social media, you know, congratulated us for doing it, and just continually is showing us support. So thank you very much. And for, for all new listeners, old listeners, and continual listeners, please like this podcast, follow it on whatever format that you're listening to it on, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, BeanPod, however this podcast comes into your ear holes. Please, uh, please follow us for more if you like what you're hearing. And Awesome. Yeah, exactly. So, thank you and goodbye. I hate goodbyes. <laughs> Alright, until next week. Thank you, everybody. We we super appreciate it, and we look forward to you talking to you next week. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.